Welcome back to another episode of Happyish Ever After, and this is the monthly book club. My girlfriend, Namisha, who is just amazing, and if you listen to episode three, I believe it was, then you will get to hear Namisha talking in her area of expertise. But today we're going to talk about Michael Singer's book, The Untethered Soul. And when I told people that I was going to be doing a book club, a sort of a book club and kind of monthly because to be honest it's like it's a monthly book club on the months that I have time to do a podcast recording on the book so when I told people about the untethered soul so many people either said oh my god that was a life-changing book I read it every year so many people said that or they said it's on my kindle or I've got the ebook or I've got it on my bookcase and I've been meaning to read it tell me how it is maybe I need to read it now so I was really looking forward to reading this book. So Namisha, I'm so glad that you get to come on here and talk with me about this book. Hi, Tatiana. Thank you for having me on here again. Such an honor always. I was one of those people that got introduced to it last year through a couple of very close friends from Clubhouse. And we actually did a um, have a group, uh, a kind of book club sorts um, of thing. And we started, our first discussion was The Untethered Soul, and we got to chapter two, and somehow the book club never happened to to take off after that. So I went up to chapter two to discuss it with them. So I think this was just in my destiny to actually discuss the book. <laughs> <laughs> and so it landed on your on your shoulder. <laughs> I love that. You know, when I was running the book club in... Clubhouse, which is an audio app, I actually still get messages today saying, when are you going to bring the book club back? And I'm like, I just, I'm so swamped right now that now what I'm doing is I'm doing a book of the month on the months that I can in the podcast. I love doing it, but it did take quite a bit of time and organization to get it going, but I loved it. I loved doing the book club and I'm so glad that now we're getting to do this. Apparently, less than 10% of books that are purchased get read. Wow. I mean, I'm one of those people that have a stack of books that I got to read and I still buy new, but I still read them at some point. I do too, but I'm going to have to live to be 350 because I buy as like faster than I read. We can do that, Tatiana. (laughs) Knowing you and I, we could do that. 350? No worries. (laughs) No worries. I just have to be able to hold the book up. I've been thinking about getting an Audible subscription, you know, so I can get more books in. It, that's how it worked for me. Honestly, Tatiana, get it. Because that's how I, I got to read so many more. Because I would just go around doing chores in the house and doing uh, doing that. Like just reading. Sometimes I would finish the whole book just walking around doing my thing. So definitely yeah. get it. And I definitely encourage people, put on the podcast, Happyish Ever After. Go around your house. <laughs> That's right. (laughs) Do your thing. I totally already do that with podcasts and uh, my house is definitely getting cleaner. Yeah, same. (laughs) I'm cleaning up the kitchen and I'm listening to a podcast and all of a sudden it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm just enjoying some time. Yes. And cooking. We're all going to cook every day, right? We're going to eat something, breakfast, lunch or dinner. So do it while you're cooking. (laughs) Amazing. I totally (laughs) don't cook. So... (laughs) Okay. So the first thing I'm going to say is this book. Now, what is it? It's called The Untethered Soul, The Journey Beyond Yourself. 
it's listed as a self-help transformation book and to figure out who you really are. And it's broken into, I think it's six parts, five parts, awakening consciousness, experiencing energy, freeing yourself, going beyond and living life. And it's, it's got the five parts. Each part has about three or four chapters in it. It's not very long and there is a lot of repetition, but it's not something that you just sort of like pick up and read when you're slightly distracted. I found it required some concentration. What do you think? Yes, I totally agree with you. I tried that, by the way. I did try the method of, so what I, what I did was I, um, was maybe, like I said, walking around doing work in the house, but sometimes I would turn off because I was paying attention to something else and I would have to rewind because I just, I, I couldn't understand the, the, the later part until I got to the previous, which I had just missed. So I had to, uh, maybe take a walk outside and, and read this book. Uh, or listen to this book, uh, where I wasn't thinking about anything else, but just walking. And so that I agree with, don't expect it to be, you know, one of those reads that you can skip a couple of lines and, and still be able to, to carry on. Yeah. It's not like plot driven fiction where you just kind of like zone in and follow someone. Like he invites you to think about things differently. And Agreed. some of the things that he's introducing are really a shift, like a true shift. And sometimes I had to think about like, do I agree with this? Do I not agree with this? What would this mean? Or there's, I've got so much underlining. Now, people who like, please don't send me hate mail. Yes, I underline and I fold corners. And it's my way of loving my books and finding things again. And this I'm trying has... to stay as calm as I can <laughs> while you say that. Because I'm one of the... <laughs> like, no, Tatiana, no. No, the book, no. <laughs> Do you know what I love, though? I've lent books to people, and, and I write notes in the margins, too. Oh. And, they, and they've said it's an experience reading the book, and then the other experience is seeing the thought process that's being shared with them because then I'm sharing my thoughts because I want to be able to reflect back in the book and look and go, oh, like here, I just randomly opened page 91 and yeah. uh, the body is communicating through its universal language pain. Your psyche is communicating through its universal language fear. And I've put in the sidebar, don't agree, but open to him using the term differently than I do. I love that. <laughs> right? Because I'm like, yes. I don't know if I'd call that fear or, do you know? Yes. But these are the sorts of notes that I make to myself and I enjoy. Yes. I loved the way the book opened with the voice inside your head. Yes, me too. I think that was, I, I guess it was put in there for a reason as first, as the first chapter to catch our attention because it's so relatable for us all. Yeah. And I really think that it's a foundational piece of understanding the difference between the social conditioning, the things that are put on you, your reaction, and the difference between your brain and who you are. Yes. And I'm going to see if I can find, 
a quote, but we all have that brain, you know, where, where we're talking to ourselves and we're looking at things and we're having judgment. Yes. And it's interesting though, isn't it? Because we, we do it on such a sort of, I guess, minute by minute basis, even, um, you walk outside and you're, you're talking to yourself saying, Oh, what a lovely tree. Like he had described and, Mm -hmm. I do that. You know, I, I look up at the sunset and I'm like, oh, what a beautiful sunset. Sometimes I'll even say it out loud. And that's that voice. Why do I have to do that? And so he's right. There is a commentary going on, a couple of well, maybe two or three commentaries going yeah. on in there. And all of these characters inside of our head are speaking thoughts for some random reason, because they don't need to speak these thoughts. <laughs> There is no actual need for it. Yeah. And and that's exactly what he said. Most of the talk is just a waste of time and energy. It's just like this rambling that's going on in our head. But I love that he started with this chapter because I felt like I'm, I needed to be taken along. This book, it's listed self-help and transformation. But I think for a lot of people, they would embrace it as a spiritual book. And that's not really the perspective that I come from all the time. Like not the, I don't want to be dismissive and call it woo woo spirituality. I know that it's um, because I, but I have a love of the science. Like I have a love of understanding how our brain works, how we form patterns and habits and neuro pathways and the way that he actually speaks he does come from i actually loved i'll I, i'll try and find it how he just defines spirituality and i was like yes that's that's how i feel and he does talk about like a universal power and and he does a chapter on god at the very very end you know heads up for anybody that has an aversion but if you have an aversion read this book and then maybe you can release that <laughs> Yeah, true. And he doesn't even, I don't know if you've seen his notes afterwards. Like he's got, you know, these insights on YouTube, which I, which I also, this was a while ago that I, I had listened to as well. And it was very interesting how he describes that power. He doesn't even, he doesn't even want to go close to the word God. He even says that. He said, I, I, he says, I avoid using the word God because people have made it into something that it's actually not. So he's like, I don't like using that word God. In fact, a lot of people who write the word God actually write G underscore D. They don't even want to actually go near that word because mm. human beings have kind of over the years, over the, you know, course of time, um, created their own version of God. And it's not what you actually think. It actually does come from also science in terms of the spirit, which would be, in science, it would be, I guess you could call it energy. Everything is made up of energy. We know that from science, you know, Einstein has taught us about energy. And he was saying that there is this one energy that all of us have, the table has it, the pen has it, the paper has it, the air has it, the -hmm. human being has it. So that's the energy that he's talking about. But he's talking about Shakti, which is a Hindu word, which he calls energy inside of you, which has to be in a certain flow for everything to align. And so he says, you are that energy. 
So how are you separate from that eternal energy, which is, you know, omnipresent energy because it's everywhere. It's omnipresent. He says you are that because you're made up of that. And because we have human beings have consciousness, he says chit, which, which in Hindi Sanskrit means consciousness. And your chit would be conscious energy. So because human beings have a mind, they're able to be conscious of this energy. And so you are able to take this energy and create with it, whereas other beings aren't able to do that because they don't have conscious energy. They just have energy. And it was so interesting because I'm like, wait, he's putting science into this, which is great. But he's also telling me that I have energy inside of me, which he calls Shakti, which I want in balance at all times, which is true. So when he talks about this chatter that we have in our mind, it's because something happened, something, a trigger, someone said something to you and you're upset. The energy is upset in your body and you want it to come to balance. You're like, oh my God, no, no, energy can't go out of balance. It has to be in balance. So you start talking and venting (laughs) in hopes that it will come back into balance. But what it does is it just creates more ripples inside of you. In fact, we don't actually know how to deal with that, of how to deal with an external force coming in and affecting our internal force. And so that's what he was saying. He said the day we're able to handle that outside force coming in and for us to be able to still stay grounded in our energy, he's like, that's when we will reach, there's a Hindi Sanskrit word, it's called Sat Chit Anand, which means Sat is truth, Chit is your consciousness and your energy, and Anand is bliss. So the day you're able to create that inside of you and stay in focus and stay in your grounded energy and say, that person said something to me, but it has nothing to do with me, has everything to do with them. But that's hard. And so that's what the practice is. It is. And that's why he starts us off with us being able to recognize, at least I think this is why he does it. Yeah. Us recognizing that we are not actually the chatter. We are the observer of the chatter. Yes. And that was completely new. Oh, I'm not all those things that I'm hearing. I'm not all those thoughts. They're thoughts. They're my brain in action. They're my conditioning in action. Mm -hmm. I am not those things. Yes. I am the observer of those things. So then when we get to the later chapters, kind of leads us down this path so that by the time you get to the point in the book where he's saying, so now when somebody else says something, that is not about you being able to release that. But you practice the release on yourself first. I think that's something I hadn't realized until just now. I was like, as you were speaking, I went, oh, now I sort of, I understand a different level of this book. You can see it as first we learn how to acknowledge and release our internal dialogue. So then we can actually start to be able to release the other things that are coming at us externally. Yeah. Because if we can't manage that internal chatter, and I don't mean manage like stop it or end it, but to be able to just stand aside and go, well, that's an interesting thought I'm having, huh? And being able to get to that point where you can see and feel and, and stand apart from that if you can do that, 
than the person honking behind you at the stop sign. How much, if, if you can do that for yourself, how much impact are they going to have on you? Yeah, exactly. And he calls it witness consciousness mm. in terms of you're witnessing your consciousness. Because think about it this way. When somebody is having these thoughts, let's just put ourselves in this boat where someone says, I don't really like you. I don't really like you. Your consciousness goes into this surge of ideas of why this person may not like you and what you did and what they did. And then maybe ego comes in and says, well, I don't really need them, but it's still bothering you. That's why you're saying, I don't really need them because you don't even have to worry about whether you need them or not in reality. So all of this chatter that happens in our mind and assumptions and all of that, what we, what we're, all he's asking for us is to do is to become the witness of that. He's like, that's fine. It's happening to you because it's a default of our brain. But if that's happening to you and you're able to take a step back and say, I am now the witness to this. I'm going to watch this. I'm going to grab some popcorn and watch this <laughs> show <laughs> yeah. till the end. And then I'm going to decide what I'd like to do with this instead of actually getting so involved in the show that you can't at the end of the show get up off of your seat and say what's my analysis here would i recommend this to another person would i like to, to come and watch this show again is there some character i'd like to change in this show again that's all things that we do after something is already complete so that rant he's saying is fine because it's happening to you and and you don't want to squash it down. But that rant is important to witness. Witness mm -hmm. what you're saying in your rant and then see where that's taking you, where that's coming from. And stop. This is, we go straight into judgment mode, into why am I doing this? Uh, I shouldn't be doing this. And what he's saying is it's going to happen to you regardless. It's like your body, for example, and Tatiana, you're well versed with this topic is that if you don't eat right, what you put in your body is how you're going to feel. So if you're mm -hmm. eating a lot of McDonald's or, you know, Burger Kings or whatever, like just food that is maybe not so great for your body every single day of your life, well, that's how your body is going to be inside and it'll start sh manifesting outwardly as well. And he says, it's so important for you to realize that what you're feeding your mind is what it's going to talk about. So think about and witness what you're talking about, and then start realizing what you can feed your mind so that it doesn't speak that way next time. Instead of judging ourselves and saying, oh my God, I shouldn't be saying that. I shouldn't be talking like that. It's okay for us to be talking like that as long as we're witness to it, because then we can change it if we'd like to. Yes. Yeah. And he takes it a next, a step further and says that you actually define who you are by those beliefs that you have. You actually use them. Like he talks later in the book about creating a house out of beliefs. Yeah. And those beliefs are to create boundaries around you and to create safety around you. But it's actually a false construct because you aren't your beliefs. You just are. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I loved that part where he talks about the house and the light. Oh, um, for anybody who'd like to, <laughs> that was my favorite part of the book is it was so interesting because I was so glued. I, at one point I was walking with, you know, headphones and I had to stop and sit on a bench because I wanted to hear that. So, you know, it's just, I was involved and the interesting, the most interesting part that I took away from that is that the only person standing between you and your growth is you. Yeah. You're the only one that's making these up in your head. Nobody else is responsible for your growth. And it was so interesting for me to see that you will find people on any path that you're on. So if you're on a path of fear, you will find people who are fearful as well. And then you become like a group and you're all just a bunch of people who fear certain things, you know? So, and then it, it feels like the world is full of fearful people then. That's all it is. And you and I just had a conversation about it right before <laughs> this. Yeah. Where I told you that it feels like just everyone around me is it's saturated and you're like, because that's all you have around you. Yeah. <laughs> you're not stepping out of that part of you, which is excellent to see in this book as well, because he realizes that, you know, you are probably putting up obstacles in your own path, thinking that the world is doing that to you. Yeah. And you're letting these obstacles run your life. And, and you're thinking, oh, but I'm running my life, but you're not. You're actually just putting up barriers so that you don't get hurt. He talks about how that's how, what was the example that he gave? Like somebody has a, was it a sprained ankle or something like this, right? Like, they, yes. They, oh my God. What a great example that was. I just, you know, you have a choice, like it's, it's, or a broken foot or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but you have a choice. You could fix it or you could create some kind of construct around the foot to protect the foot from being bumped. Yeah, like a device. A device, right? <laughs> yes. And then, and then, then, but then it makes it hard to get in the house. So then you have to build a ramp so that you can get into the house. But then, you know, you have different things. And so you keep building and building and building to accommodate the broken body part. And so you're like, yeah, I don't have to deal with the broken body part because I've created all of this, but you've actually created your entire life, all of your systems, all of your life is around the one broken part because you didn't go in and heal the broken part. Now, you still can go back and heal the broken part and then you don't have to have a house with a ramp. You don't have to decide how you're gonna get to an appointment because you can't take public transit and you can't drive a car and so you've got to call somebody or have an Uber. And that's how we are with our wounds. Yes. We have a choice. We can heal our wounds or we can let our wounds run our life. And in ignoring our wounds or in building structures to manage and protect ourselves, all we're doing is giving the wound more power because it is literally running your life. I thought that was so powerful. So powerful because I hadn't thought of that because, you know, you've got all the mechanisms in place, all the protections in place, all of the things that you need to keep yourself safe and to not further injure yourself, fear-based, right? Yes. But that's how it runs your life. Yeah. And the fear is running your life. <laughs> yeah. The fear is completely running your life. It is. It is. And the injury is. And he mm -hmm. says, and this makes sense. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want it to sound like it's blaming Right. Because we do this subconsciously. We aren't 
consciously building all of the mechanisms. It's not the same as a broken bone because we, we aren't actually like building a device to manage. So in that way, we are doing it at a subconscious level and yes. we're building these defense mechanisms and the protection mechanisms, and we're adapting our life to protect ourselves. And we aren't aware. Don't even know you have them. Exactly. So when we start blaming ourselves and saying, oh gosh, I didn't even, well, yeah, you didn't know you can't see them. And a lot of people are unaware to the point, to the degree that they've had this for years and nobody's ever come across, you know, mental health wasn't a big thing back a few years ago, even, you know, and I didn't grow up with it uh, in my life. And I'm sure you didn't grow up with it in your life. And this is a very new concept for it to be in mainstream media. And so we don't know anything about these constructs that we've built around us to protect ourselves. And rightfully so, your mind wants to protect the energy that you have inside. Like I said, you know, that, that they, we don't want any disturbance in the, in the pond. And so what you do is you create things that you think are good. For example, anger. If you have something that you can vent at, then it comes out of you and you think that that's it. It's gone. And, and now I'm calm. It's actually not gone. Now you're a toxic human being that nobody wants to be around because you're always angry. So then that's the consequence that you suffer for the the construct you built to get rid of this feeling of, you know, I don't know what to do with all of this stuff inside. I'm just going to yell at somebody because there's no other, I guess, healthy way that you know, because we're just unaware of how to do this. And thankfully, finally, now we're coming into consciousness as a society. I think there have been many people who've been talking about mental health issues for a really long time. I think that um, for many people, they're probably looking around going, finally, finally, we're having this conversation. And, And it is an important conversation. Like this book is a few years old, but still very relevant. Um, Talking about consciousness, though, made me think of this other uh, point that um, Michael Singer made. And he says, consciousness is always drawn to the most distracting object, the bumped toe, the loud noise, or the hurting heart. You know how the the things that are right in front of you are the things that you deal with. But so you deal with the crisis, but not the maintenance. Yes. And I felt like, yes, that's what our conscious self does. And this book is an invitation to step away from what the brain and the conscious mind wants to lock in on and instead explore and give yourself space to become an observer. I agree with you. I agree. And I accepted that invitation for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> right, right off the bat, when he starts off with the invitation, I accepted it. And I, and I love how he, he blends it into, he begins with you in terms of the basic needs. Mm-hmm. And then he blends it into, which I loved for me anyway. And I am one of those people that love the spiritual part of this book. I, I do think of this more of a, of a spiritual book than a personal growth book in any other sense. And for me, it came from, from the fact that we, when we learn to ground, I'll give you an example, right? 
if if I could invite you to or anyone that's listening to have this to have a go at this exercise where remember try to think of one incident where you genuinely feel that you hurt somebody that you actually feel not judging yourself or or um blaming yourself um without knowledge or without thinking about it you've thought through the situation and you know that what you did may have actually hurt someone and you feel that that was genuinely how just how things happened is that you hurt somebody what was your mind being fed at that time what were you feeding your mind at that time that's question number 1 do you want me to answer it yeah go ahead oh i'm thinking of a particular instance and at the time I was feeling anxious and animated and heightened. So when I reflected on it later, I realized that it was very fear driven. I was talking with one of my children, but talking is a very generous way to say I was semi yelling, possibly actually yelling. And and it's my my fear about everything being okay for him in the future. and that was definitely the driver. Thank you for sharing that because that was my next question is what did you do? What was being fed to your mind by yourself of course, your own mind is feeding itself. And what did you do is is you did something that you didn't want to do, but the fear drove you to do this certain thing. And the last question I have is is there a correlation a correlation with between what you were fed in your mind and what you did oh so definitely weren't, yeah say you weren't thinking about fear say it was another thought that was in your mind something completely different than fear you wouldn't have done that you would have done something else we don't know what you would have done because that moment is gone that moment passed but it's <laughs> yeah that's very interesting because it triggered a fear in me mm-hmm. and so instead of having a rational curious conversation with him yeah. asking questions trying to uncover what his truth was yeah i went into command mode yeah uber parent mode he hasn't needed me to give him instructions for many many years yeah you know but that's another thing is as a parent you know you transition from being the person who says this is what you need to do this is how you do it because there is a time and place in a child's development that they do need to be told yeah because that's part of their process and then you transition out of that role yes. and you become somebody who has conversations about how things can be and the the topics are very complex and yeah. that didn't happen because i let fear take over and run the show yeah and also who you were you didn't remember who you really were you remembered mm. your role which was your mom Yeah, which is for him right now, it may be something that you are, but he doesn't need you as a mom right now. He needs you to transition to another role, maybe to a friend role. I think like it's always a mom role, but the clear thing is is that it's a role. Yeah. And and the expectations yeah. of that role evolve just as I True. need to like I need to continue to evolve. It's it's a natural state. but there's challenges involved in evolving right it change is not he talks about that yes. too you know change is is not status quo change is not doing things how you've always done them and when you do things differently there will be a rub there will be challenges it will be uncomfortable 
And that's okay. That's growth. Exactly. And it's okay for us to feel that something that we were doing in the past and maybe we haven't done it for a while came back. Maybe because it was a trigger. It's okay for it to come back. We are still human. We are able to at least look at it and say, wait, this just came back. Um, I guess there's more work to be done here. And I love that he uses that just being aware of what your, what your mental chatter is, is more than enough for us to decide whether it's helpful or harmful. But at the same time, because we are unable to take that step back and just let the mental chatter take over leads us to doing things that we don't want to do, maybe. And we maybe sort of feel almost compelled to do, like I was saying with the anger. It's like you're, you're, there's so much noise in your head that you're compelled to just get it out. And the only way to get it out for you is anger in that moment. And whoever is doing that, I'm pretty sure that, you know, when people say, Oh, I'm just an angry person. You're not an angry person. None of us are angry people. We did, we weren't born as angry people, but that's just something we developed because there was so much chatter in our minds and we didn't know what else to do with it. But if you go back to that, let's say you had improved that and started evolving and you go back to that once in a while, it's okay. It's still part of your, I guess, your brain trying to protect itself in that moment. I remember he was talking about, I don't know if you remember this, but the blood, you know, he said, if a nurse is unable to deal with blood and you cut yourself, well, then how is she going to serve you? How is she going to fix that? And so it's exactly that is that you have to be able to get to a point where you can handle these emotions and then the emotions arrive and then you say, okay, well, I'm prepped for this. So let's get at it. And the more you prep yourself, the more you're able to handle all the situations coming to you. And the only way to prep yourself is by grounding and realizing who you really are. Yeah. He starts talking about the way, the Tao. Yeah. Later, finding that. Yeah. That middle road where I think he describes it as the pressures from either side sort of go away because you're in balance. You're in the way. and You're on the way. You're in the Tao. Yeah. So I'm wondering, is there anything about the book in particular that you didn't enjoy? Yes. Ah! <laughs> There's this one part that really, um, I'm, I'm trying to get my, my head wrapped around it, but I'm unable to at this moment. Maybe it will come to me, um, in the coming years or whatever. But the thing where he says that when someone, so he was talking about not being affected by what other people say or do, you know, towards you and that it doesn't matter because it has nothing to do with you. None of your circumstances have anything to do with you. And anything that happens to you has to do with all the other things that came together to make that circumstance happen. Has nothing to really do with you. And it's egoistic for egotistical, I guess is the word for us to think that it is. And I'm a little in two minds about that because he also said, you know, there isn't any such thing as karma that, you know, something is a consequence of something else. And I didn't agree with that part because I do believe in karma. I do believe in doing and changing the future. Mm -hmm. 
So what I do today is able to change my future. And if I don't do that, that will also affect my future. So somehow I fell out of understanding there. Yeah. Oh, you're so generous. I fell out of understanding. <laughs> I just plain old disagreed in a couple of places. That's me. I didn't fall out of understanding. I was like, no. I I'd on. love to know where you would um, put that pin in. Where did you put the pin in? <laughs> so I had this one one area and it's all lovely because he yes. starts off and he's explaining this. And I loved this. You know, you mm -hmm. take a set of thoughts in your mind and you hold on to them, right? Mm -hmm. You make a highly complex relational structure out of them because you're taking all of this stuff and you're like, okay. And you're, and you're rationalizing and you're in your brain, right? And he says, but it's not who you are. Like all of this stuff, it's, it's not who you are. It's a whole system that you've created to adapt to things, but that's not who you are. It's just thoughts you've pulled around yourself in an attempt to define yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm totally good with all of this. And then he says, you do this because you're lost inside. And I was like, close the book. Nope. <laughs> that one sentence, you do this because you're lost inside. I felt like it was so I was who wrote that sentence because it didn't feel compassionate. It didn't, it felt very judgmental and blaming. Yeah. It felt like, oh, I know the answer. It's because you're lost. Mm. And it did not sit with me. I didn't fall out of understanding. I was like, that's bullshit. You do these things, but see me and, and I love because I read this with a science lens. You do these things because life experiences happen to you. You are not the culmination of those experiences. You are a divine and precious being. You are not all of your ticks and ways of, of dealing with the things that have happened in your life, right? Right. But the reason that you develop these is because you have a need to belong. You have a need to rational, to rationalize things. You want to be a part of community. Our brains are hardwired to work this way. And I wouldn't want anybody to walk around and go, I'm lost. Like, I just, I just can't, I just, I don't have it in me. Or this is all of this stuff happens for a reason. It's a self protective mechanism so that we can function in our day to day life so that we can function. If we want to function at a higher level and with more joy in our life, that was actually another sticking point for me is that he, well, okay. My podcast is called Happyish Ever After. I believe in feeling all of the emotions, not just happiness. And he, this book definitely felt like it was all about achieving that continual happiness. And I think shitty things happen mm -hmm. and it's okay to be sad, depressed, angry, frustrated. They're all okay emotions to feel and we are meant to feel them. We aren't meant to feel them 10 years after they happened, right? So the being able to grieve when you're sad, be happy and joyful at, at those moments, you know, be, have the feelings. Don't try and shut them away. Don't shame yourself that there's something wrong with you for having the feelings. This is my thought. But then when they keep coming up, when you're ruminating about something long after it has passed and now it's re-traumatizing you or you're you're reliving the experience and really feeling awful about it or you're second guessing yourself all the time that's the time to step back and say 
okay, I see what I'm doing here. Can I be an observer of what I'm doing here? And can I let it go and try to create new neural pathways where you don't get into that cycle, that cycle of feeding the brain, feeding all of that. So I loved the book, but I also want to say, mm, but it's okay to feel your feelings and there's nothing wrong with you for creating these artificial constructs and houses and defense mechanisms. There's nothing wrong. It's totally normal. Everyone does it and it's okay. And you are not flawed. You are whole and beautiful. And it is the miracle of your adaptability that you've created these mechanisms. Are they serving you moving forward? Do you want something different? If you do, then you've got some tools to do things differently. So that's my thoughts. I agree with you. All of it. Yeah. <laughs> All of it. I agree with you. I do not believe in telling someone that it's not okay to grieve or to be sad or to have anxiousness or to feel that they don't belong or to have jealousy, to have anger. I would never say that that is not okay because I feel like that those exist for a reason mm -hmm. and they are your, your, um, almost markers to let you know where you are in your life. And as you said, if you're able to develop a way to actually become the witness and see that you're having these feelings as to go through the feelings, but have another character inside of you that's saying, okay, well, we are going through this, you know, and is this helping us? And then take it beyond that and maybe apply some tools, as you were saying, to if you'd like to change that and to get better in terms of how you handle these triggers that do come in, because the trigger is inside of us. It's not really coming from the outside. Something outside of us is evoking it, but it is really inside of us. So be the witness to that. What is going on inside? Be the witness of that. But to not be able to actually express any of the feelings and to think that that means you're lost, I'm not sure if that's true, because then why do you even have those feelings as a human being? I want to be clear that I'm not sure that he's saying don't feel the feelings. I just yeah. felt like it was a little bit glossed over because there's a yes. lot of emphasis put on attaining happiness. Yeah. And I'm always that's a little bit of and maybe that's my own trigger is this you know, it's kind of like being told as a woman to smile. Yeah. Right. And so it's a little bit of a, hmm, okay, how about we feel all our feelings? Cause we know a lot of us, like I know for myself, I have a lot of, um, here's a, a word I like to use or a term that I like to use with my clients. And that's maladaptive behaviors mm -hmm. because people are like, oh, I'm, I'm bad because I, I'm an emotional eater. No, it's just, it's a maladaptive behavior. It's just, it's simply that you have adapted and, and taken on a behavior that has a negative consequence to your health. Yeah, yeah it's not serving you, but still. Let's get rid of the judgy words. It helped you at some point. <laughs> yeah, let's get rid of the judgy words. Now, so yeah. now, now I've had my little like, okay, so this is what I didn't love. Now this I'm is gonna, what I didn't Now love. I'm going to tell you about something I really loved. All right. I All really right, loved about this book. I've never done this, but for some reason, okay, <sighs> bookstores are my safe space. I freaking love bookstores. I spend a ridiculous amount of money in bookstores. And if I can like, if I'm like, oh, but I can't read all the books, but I really want to spend money supporting my local bookstore. Let me see something that I can add on. And for the first time ever, 
I bought a card deck. So with the Untethered Soul, you can purchase a 52-card deck. Really? Oh, wow. I wouldn't let myself open them until I'd read the book. And I'm glad. I would say if you have not read the book, don't get the card deck because I don't know that it makes sense. But having read the book, it's really, really interesting. And they've colored the cards slightly differently on the inside according to the sections of the parts of the book. Like they're called parts in the book. And, you know, there's the awakening consciousness cards, the experiencing energy cards, the freeing yourselves. And they have a beautiful horse on the front, like in the other one. I love that, Tatiana. I was not expecting you to have a deck of cards. This is so cool. It's so good because then you also, you get pulled right back to the book. So here's, here's one that I just picked. Okay. When your stuff gets hit, let go right then because it will be harder later. Do you remember that section of the book? It's like, okay, when it first happens, if we continue to ruminate and really what we're doing is we're burning in new neural pathways to ruminate about it. And that's what, so this is the science part, right? Is that then it's harder to let it go. But he's actually saying when it happens, basically the faster that you can, without judgment, observe, Mm -hmm. then it's actually going to be easier. It's not going to get easier with time which is a thing with me like time heals all wounds bullshit okay again i guess i'm just going to be sweary pants today doing the work heals all things time doesn't healing heals heal it heal it heal heal it and it will heal yeah but if you keep it on the back burner then it will stay there and rot and have fungus and God knows what right. else. Right. And, and so, according to Michael Singer, the longer you hold on to it, the harder it is to let go. Because And because we know with science, it gets entrenched. Oh, Yes, that was a good one. Energy doesn't get old. It doesn't get tired. And it doesn't need food. What it needs, I love that one. Yeah. What it needs is openness and receptivity. That's beautiful. Yeah. I'm all about the energy part. That energy part really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Because I I do believe that every one of us has this powerful energy that creates. And I know that there's God, but the, the we are, I mean, every book in the world, every religious book even says you're made in the likeness of God. Why do you think they say that? Mm-hmm. It's the energy. It's the energy that we're made of. And human beings have the beautiful privilege, the extraordinary, the phenomenal, the incredible privilege of actually doing something with that. Mm-hmm. Other creatures don't have that privilege, unfortunately, not that we know of. Yeah. Every movement of your body, every emotion you have, and every thought that passes through your mind is an expenditure of energy. Wow. I just actually, this thought was something I just talked about with my youngest daughter. And I said, it's all energy. We have, we all have an amount of energy and we can choose how we use it. And if we choose to use it, worrying about a potential future, that's energy that we don't have to create the future because the energy is being used on the worry, which is not the same as creating. Well, it does have a byproduct of creating, possibly not what it is that you actually want to create because then you start building all kinds of protective barriers. Yeah. Everything is an expenditure of energy. But this card, when I opened the deck, this was the first card I pulled out. And this one was my absolute favorite. Okay. Nothing ever is worth closing your heart over. Mm -hmm. I love these cards. 
I really did enjoy this book and I would give this a high recommendation. I think it's it's a must read. I'd put it in the must read category. I agree. I'm one of those people that you mentioned at the beginning that is going to read this maybe every year, maybe every couple of years, but probably every year. Yeah. But for me, it was a spiritual text because it, it also reminded me a lot of Hinduism because I think he takes a lot of the stuff from Hinduism as well. He mentions the Upanishad, he mentions the Gita. So for me, it kind of reminded of that as well. So I think that it's something that I would do every year is read this, listen to this book. Yeah, I think that he actually has, here it is in the back of the book, it says he had a deep inner awakening in 1971 while working on his doctorate in economics and went into seclusion to focus on yoga and meditation. Mm -hmm. In 1975, he founded Temple of the Universe and now long established yoga and meditation center where people of any religion or set of beliefs can come together to experience inner peace. So he's obviously, and he's also written two other books on the integration of Eastern and Western philosophy, the search for truth and three essays on universal law. So he definitely has an interest there and has done some reading there. And that's why he does draw on the meanings and terms and how they're used in other areas, but not a whole lot. Like, so people, no, if they're like, Oh, lot. are they going to be a bunch of Sanskrit? No, it's not. No, it's, no. It's, it's just, it's passing ra references like random once in a while yeah, yeah. to contextualize <laughs> things. But if you yeah. feel like, Namisha does. And like I do too, that this is a book that, you know, sometimes you read a book and you're like, I'm going to need a refresher on that. Oh, there's so many important thoughts on that. I would invest in the card deck. Yes. Always source it at your local bookseller first. They can bring yeah. it in. And last yeah. resort, if you desperately need it in short turn around, then go to Amazon. But I like to support my local people. I think you'd get a lot out of the card deck because it has so many of the quotes. And if you wanted to go back to the section on going beyond or in the living life section, then you can just pick a card from there and it will bring you back to everything yeah. that you saw in the book. Love that. That's an option too. Yeah. It's a wonderful book. It really is. Yeah. And I'm really happy that I actually got a chance to read it a couple of times in this one year. I've read it twice. Wow. And it's wonderful each time. By the way, you are right. Every time you do read it, you're going to find something new in it. Yes. Depending yes. on where your mindset is in that year or in that month or in that day. So that's something I love about reading. It's always a new experience. Yes. Your thoughts on things evolve. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me today, Namisha. I'm so Thank glad you. that we got to talk about this book. We knew right away this was the book that we had to talk about, and I'm so glad that we did. Me too. And thank you for having me again, Tatiana. Your show and just talking to you, your energy is absolutely magnificent. And I truly admire what you are doing for everyone out there and your messages. Keep shining. Aw, thank you. Mwah. Sending you love and light. <laughs> love back and light. Lots of it. <laughs> <laughs>